0: So Genesis chapter 22, we're going to talk about faith today, all right? That's not a big surprise. You come to church and you hear, okay, we're going to talk about faith. Well, that that would make sense. Now, usually though, when you come to church and you hear about faith, the message is generally centered around all the benefits of, of faith, The benefits of following God, the benefits of walking with him, the benefits of giving your life over to God, right? And and they should be because the benefits are wonderful of living a life of faith, of walking with God, of being people of faith. Um, They're eternal, those benefits, right? So it makes good sense that when we talk about faith in church, it's something that we are, are looking to and looking towards and saying, yeah, I want to be a person of faith, all right? And that's the good news that Christians are excited about and should be excited about. This is part of the way when we talk about sharing your faith with other people. It's those things that we are sharing. Faith is a belief that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And we're people of faith when we trust him with our lives. But what happens when things don't go the way we want them to? As people of faith. What happens when following him in faith. Takes us to some very dark places. Those are the kinds of things that as a pastor. I don't really want to talk much about. (laughs) Come follow the Lord and you'll be led into darkness. That's not what we want to hear. That's not what we want to want to talk about. But that is also a part of the life of faith. And it's a real part of the life of faith. And for somebody to tell you, a pastor or a friend or somebody that would come and tell you, hey, if you follow the Lord, you give the Lord your life, then everything's going to be perfect from there on out. It's not true. It's not true. And it's not because your faith is weak or your faith was, you know, incorrect or broken or because of that one sin that you hadn't confessed or that one thing that's still haunting you in the past. That's not what it is. Even for people that walk with Jesus and know God and follow God in faith, God's going to take you to some dark places and some hard places in life, all right? That's part of the faith journey. And Genesis 22 that we look at here today, you picked a good Sunday to come to church, all right? I say that sometimes. I mean it, and I really mean it today because Genesis 22 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible, Not just in Genesis, but in the entire Bible, the chapter we're gonna look at here today. It's the peak of Abraham's faith as he trusts God with the unthinkable. And this event in his life is why we call Abraham the father of faith. All right, we've been studying Abraham for several chapters now, He, he gets a big chunk of Genesis. And, and as you go through scripture in the Jewish faith, they still refer to Father Abraham, who had many sons. We talked about this, right? And, and Father Abraham, this father of faith, because God had called him to go through this life journey and established him ultimately as this, this man of faith. But as we've seen, as we've been looking at the life of Abraham for all these weeks, we've seen that Abraham was far from perfect, It wasn't that God said, I choose Abraham because he's so righteous and nobody else is. That's not what we see. Um, We've seen some, some pretty interesting things with Abraham. He had moments of fear, moments of weakness, and poor judgment, and sin. Remember the whole story from last week? Yeah, this is my sister, not my wife. Really, I mean it, you know? We've seen those things. But even so, even though he wasn't perfect, he continued to follow God and obey God. And over time, he became a man of deep faith. Sometimes when we see the end of somebody's life and who they've become, we make the assumption that says, oh, well, they've always been this way. Abraham was a man of faith. So I guess from the beginning, he was just a man of faith. No. In, in fact, what we've seen as we've looked at his life is he's grown in faith. He's developed faith. Faith is, is not an arrival point, a destination. It's, it's a journey all the way through. And the key thing that we're going to see here with Abraham is that his faith brought him to trust God with everything. Truly with everything. Even when it was beyond his understanding. And that's the part of faith that we're going to look at and study a bit here today. So, if you've opened up your Bibles to Genesis 22, good. If you haven't, go ahead and do that. Genesis 22, we're going to start by just reading the first two verses of this chapter. Here's what it says. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, all the things of Abraham's life, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay. You read that right. (laughs) This was unlike anything Abraham had heard God speak before. As we've been going through Abraham's life, we've seen multiple places where God has spoken to Abraham. He's guided Abraham. He's rescued Abraham from some big events and and situations that were kind of treacherous and dangerous. We've, We've seen over time, over these years, that God is building a relationship with Abraham. He's revealing more of his character and his nature to Abraham. And Abraham has got a pretty good understanding at this point. Okay, this is who God is. This is who I am. This is our relationship. This is this covenant thing. Some of these big promises that God has thrown out there before that I couldn't even imagine how they'd be possible became possible. Here I am as a hundred plus year old man. And here I've got this this young son that was a, a miracle in itself. Like I've seen God move. I've seen the things that God does. But this doesn't sound like the God I know. Because what God has just said to me is I'm supposed to take this son, not just any son, the son, yes, of my old age, but the son of promise. This son that was a fulfillment, this covenant promise that God made and said, I'm going to do something that's going to blow your minds. I am going to give you this son, even though you're way too old to have a kid. And that son, through that son, Isaac, I am going to bless all the nations. Your entire heritage is going to come through this son. So Abraham understood the value of who Isaac was. But now, God shows up and says, I want you to take that son, that son of promise, and you're going to go kill him. You're going to go offer him as a burnt offering, a sacrifice before me. Abraham would have been completely confused and hurt and disoriented, and wondering what is going on. And we don't know if this was the extent of the conversation that God had with Abraham, but it seems like it is. That's all we have recorded in the scripture. There's not some other place that says, and then God pulled Abraham to the side and said, but don't worry, you're not really going to do this. I'm just going to, you know, we're we're making it good for the Bible. You know, it, it wasn't anything like that. We don't have anything like that. God didn't ask any questions of Abraham. He didn't give any insight to Abraham. He simply told him the who, the what, and the where. Isaac, the son you love, the what, you're going to go sacrifice him, and where? On this mountain in in the area of Moriah for some reason. You're going to sacrifice him. Now, our sensitivities to the loss of a human life have been deeply numbed in the world. In the culture we live in. The, the value of a single human life. Has been really numbed. In our culture. Now I, I'm not saying that we're necessarily. The, the most calloused or heartless society ever. Okay. Um, this is a, a human issue. So it's not like wow. We're so much worse than anyone else. We're bad. But there's, there's, lots, there's been lots of bad. But even children. Children. Uh, in, in our culture, in our society, are exposed to images of death and murder from a very young age. It's no longer something that just happens in like in a, a remote battlefield somewhere um, or in extreme domestic situations. We're confronted with atrocities in places that used to be safe. Elementary schools, right? My kid this week had to do a lockdown drill where they practiced, you know, shutting off the lights and locking the doors and getting to the edge of the classroom. Why? Because there's real evil and crazy things that have happened in our society. And our entertainment drips with violent death. All right? So we've been numbed some to the idea of people dying. But still, the idea of sacrificing your own child should be unthinkable and it was for abraham when he, it's not just that abraham was some part of some culture they're like oh yeah you just people die and that's the way it is no no for abraham this was a real heavy heavy thing and human sacrifice wasn't anything new at this period of history it wouldn't have been new to abraham This wasn't like the first time he'd ever heard of something like this. In fact, um, in the city of Ur, and if you've been studying this story all along, you'll remember that Abraham was originally from Ur. Um, uh, In in that city, archaeologists have studied what they call death pits of the royal tombs in the city of Ur, even in modern times. And and in that, um, from Abram's, from actually. Abraham's time, Abraham's time, and even before his time, they found these pits where servants and soldiers were sacrificed to accompany the royal person into the afterlife, all right? The, the same things happened in Egypt where Abraham also spent significant time. If you've ever studied some of those things and they go back and they, basically what would happen is you'd have this important person, a king or a queen, that would die, but instead of just when they died, that that was it, and they have a funeral, no, in fact, what they would do is they would take all these other servants and people that had served them, kill them, and bury them with the person, so that, in their minds, well, then in the future, you'll still have your servant staff. <laughs> I mean, talk about being bad. You had to be a slave in this life, and now, apparently, in the life to come. But there's, there's, that, that was something that happened, all right? So it wasn't something that was completely new to Abraham, But this wasn't the moon god that they worshipped in Ur. This wasn't Ra, the sun god that they worshipped in Egypt. This was God Almighty. The God that had revealed himself to Abraham. The God that he had come to know over these years. The one who had appeared to him and spoken to him. And this was not like God's character. So without question, this command would have crushed Abraham and caused him deep despair and confusion. Now, you might say, okay, but in verse 1, we see that it says right there that it was a test. But remember, this, the book of Genesis was written after the fact of all these events. Abraham didn't write this story down. Moses did many, many years later. And Moses had insight to tell us that this was a test. But during the event, Abraham had no idea. When this all happened and when God spoke this to him, Abraham did not know what was going on. Now, before we go farther, why would God test people? Maybe some of you have already asked yourself that question as you're reading this. Like, why would God do this? Why would God test people? Is it for God's benefit? Or for ours. I thought God knows things, like all things. He's God. What's going on here? What's, what's happening? Well, here's one of the places where we run into this tension that it, I'm going to tell you right now, there isn't a clear outcome for. Okay? This is one of those places in Scripture where you, uh, you're, you're, you're conflicted because you have these understandings of who God is and how he functions in the world. And you understand who we are and how we live and, and, and move and, and what we have, our opportunities are. But there's something different between us and God. And there's certain things that we can understand in our limited human uh, knowledge that we don't get about God. And there's comp- things that we cannot comprehend about God. And this is one of those places of tension. If God knows all things, why does he need to test anybody? If God's all powerful, then he can make anything happen and do anything that he wants to do. That's all true. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent. He's all those things. That's absolutely true. And he's chosen to give us free will as human beings. So which which is it? How does it work? Do we have the freedom to actually choose, or is it really just a a, a a thin veil that we think that we're making choices, but actually God already knows, and God already forces us? Okay, so we're not going to solve this this morning. <laughs> um, I point this out often when we come to these places in Scripture, and I tell you, yeah, there are people that lean heavy on this side and say, it's all only in the sovereignty of God, and we're preordained to do these very things. And then you got the other side. No, it's all free will and it's, we we make the choices and God is kind of doing what he's doing. Alright, here's the problem guys. If you want to be true to this Bible and true to the Scripture, we see glimpses of both. And it's stuck in a tension. And we don't have all those answers and we can't figure it all out. That may make some of you unhappy and I'm I'm sorry, but that's, that's, where, that's what we find when we actually look at it. So, what then, if, if this is happening, if, if there's some purpose for a test, is there a reason for a test? Well, let's just ask this question first. What is a test usually meant to prove? All right, if you go to the doctor's office, and the doctor's, you know, talking to you about your symptoms, and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and he says, you know what, let's run some tests. What does he want to know? What's a medical doctor want to know when he's running a test? He wants to know the condition of your body. He's trying to figure out what's going on in this biology that may be resulting in this illness or sickness or whatever, right? So you take a test to figure out the condition of the body. Or what about at school when teachers give tests to their students? What's the purpose of a test? It's to check our knowledge and understanding of a topic or to confirm our abilities or skills. You might be sitting in math class, and they're like, all right, here's a test. I want to know if you can multiply and divide, which I can barely do anymore now because it's been so long since I had to have math. (laughs) But that's what they're looking at, right? They're like, okay, can you do this thing? Do you understand this? Or, Or some other sort of a history test or something. Do you know the dates? Do you know what happened in this event? We're trying to figure out what's going on. And the Bible describes several purposes of tests in our lives. So when we see a test in scripture like this one, we're like, okay, there's a reason that God's doing this. It's not just that he's bored and he's looking for entertainment. I should go test some of my people. That should be fun. Who knows what'll happen? No, there's actually purpose. There's actually reason in what God is doing. In James 1.3, this will be on the screen for you here. He says this, he says, for you know, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. All right, so one of the things that a test does in our lives as people of faith is that it, it provides or it proves our stability. All right? That's what something, when something is steadfast, it means it can stand firm. It's not going to be pushed over easily. All right? So one of the reasons that our faith is tested is to, that we would know what our stability is like. ...as people of faith. And when our faith is tested... ...we recognize its stability, hopefully... ...and that we have a firm foundation. All right? Next, another thing... ...is we find in 1 Peter 1, to 6-7. It says, "...in this you rejoice... ...though now for a little while, if necessary... ...you've been grieved by various trials... ...so that the tested genuineness of your faith... ...more precious than gold that perishes... ...though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's being described there? It's being described as a value of our faith. He's saying your, your, your faith can be tested through these trials, it can be refined, and it can come to a spot where you recognize how valuable it is to have to be people of faith. Have you ever seen people, uh, friends, family, coworkers that don't know God, that don't walk with God, they go through something really hard and you're like, man, how can this person do this without God? How can they walk through this without God? I don't understand. I, it would be hard walking through it with God. There's a value in, in our faith, a value in walking this life with God. And, and oftentimes the tests prove that value to us. It shows us that, that our faith is genuine and that is valuable to us. All right, so stability, value. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. That word can actually be translated also as test me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Another value that we get, another purpose of testing in our lives as people of faith is that testing helps us with our direction, all right? That's where he says there, go ahead, Lord, test me because I got to see what's going on in here because I can't figure this out. Test me and then lead me in the path that I'm supposed to be going on. Test my faith so I can see where the weak spots are. Test my faith so I understand where I'm kind of standing on shaky ground. Test me and then give me direction. It allows us to see our lostness and the need to correct our path. That's what a good teacher is doing when they're giving a test. All right, and the last one that we'll see here, the fourth one is in Psalm 66, 8-12, it says, Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. That's the whole refining process. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Did you see what's described there? Those tests were not pretty tests. Those were not easy things. They were hard things. They were hard places in life. But, What it did through that is it gave us perspective. That's what the psalmist is describing. He said, these horrible things happened, but you brought me out to a place of abundance. It gave me a perspective that even in the hard places, God is faithful and he'll bring us through. It doesn't mean that God's tests are easy or painless, but God's tests have purpose. All right, let's go on now in verse 3. the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Now, the difficulty of this journey really can't be overstated. All right, Abraham is over 100 years old and he's traveling with his beloved son on a three-day journey, which would have been physically exhausting, be exhausting for any of us, not to mention if we were 115 or something, <laughs> All the while being emotionally and mentally tortured by what he's got to do. He hasn't told anyone else the burden that's on his heart. He hasn't told anyone else the command that he's been given by God. So he's on this journey. He's going through this this journey just buried in this. Now, we don't know the exact date that all of this took place. uh, Nor do we even know Isaac's age. The word boy that you see there in the the text could be used for any male child from infancy through late adolescence. All right, so that doesn't give us much. Isaac was old enough to carry a load of wood up the mountain for his elderly father. All right? And he was certainly aware of what was going on. Was he 10, 12, 14? We don't really know. But he's also old enough to ask a really good question. And I'm glad that he asked this question because it gives us insight into what Abraham's thinking and processing here. How he's trying to figure this out. Because what does he ask? He asks his dad, Pops, where is the lamb? Like, we got the knife. We got the torch that's already lit with fire. I'm carrying the wood. I know you're getting a little senile up there in those years. Did you forget about the offering part? And Abraham answers in a a very important way. And he says, God will provide. God will provide. But here's the thing. Abraham did not know how. He didn't know how. He didn't have any contingency plans. After these days of struggle, all he could do was trust God. Now... Some Bible scholars and commentators um, that I've read, they say that Abraham already knew what would happen because he told the servants that they'd return. All right. But as you guys know, as we've been studying the life of Abraham and looking at Abraham, he's not always the one to be the most straight shooter with the things he has to say, right? We just saw this last week. Yeah, this is my sister. "Uh Uh-huh, sure. (laughs) I think Abraham is just saying what he needs to say to leave those servants behind and do what he needs to do. Um, if, if he already knew what would happen, then to me, this is no test. And this is clearly a test. He believed that God would provide by faith. And this is why I told you that this chapter is one of the most important ones in the entire Bible. Because Abraham is in the greatest crisis of his entire life. This is the worst thing that ever happened to him in his whole life. And yet what we get is we get a glimpse into the battle and the struggle of what it took to trust God. But also we get to see that this desire for 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 abraham from god this desire that he had this belief that god would provide was was by faith he had been walking with god for probably 50 or 60 years or so at this point he knew god well and he knew that god was trustworthy and that was his only option he knew he had to obey god and he knew that he had to trust him and I, I will also point out here that Abraham's trust was a silent trust. We don't have a record of him breaking down or crying out or complaining or even groaning under the, the weight of all this. That's what I would have been doing. I've been throwing a fit. God, you can't mean this. This is awful. Ah, Blowing up. No, all we see is a trust that went far beyond his understanding. And Abraham trusted God with everything. Pick up in verse 9 there. It says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now we know that Isaac at this point, he was aware of what was going on. He realized what was happening here. And it says in verse 10, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So Abraham made the decision to obey God. He didn't understand it, couldn't figure it out. He chose though, to believe that God would provide. He didn't know how God would rectify all this, but he chose to obey him. And this moment was all in commitment. There's no going back after this. He knew God deeply. He heard God's voice clearly. And he chose the path of faith, even though it took him through a pretty dark place. Now, As Christians, a lot of times we talk about, uh, we borrow it from Paul in Corinthians, he talks about faith and hope and love, right? These are these important things of our faith um, that that as Christians that we hold on to. Well, and I think that we see that here. I think that his love for God gave him hope. I love this God. I know this God. I have hope that he's going to provide in some way. And his hope is what gave him faith to do what he was about to do. But then his faith showed him God's love, which resulted in hope, which increased his faith. Right? It's this cycle that's always happening. We're stepping out in faith and we see more love. We experience that love. It gives us some hope, which grows our faith, which leads us to places of love and hope. And and they're they're all mixed together. And this is part of the journey. But Abraham's crisis is incredibly valuable to people of faith because we're given an example of someone who chose to trust God through the unthinkable and saw that God remained faithful. God is faithful. It's who he is. And that doesn't change ever. No matter what the circumstances seem to be or what we're feeling in the moment, God is faithful. God is our provider. And by faith, we believe that he'll provide for us. And I know, guys, that when you hear a a message like this, you might be in one of those places where you're like, yeah, but I'm in that dark spot. And I am having a hard time with my faith. I'm having a hard time with my trust, believing that he will actually do what he says he's going to do. I know, guys, but when we look at who God is and we talk to those who have walked with him and we've heard the testimonies, we recognize the truth that God is faithful. Hold on to that by faith. Now, we, here's where we end, verses 15 to 19. It says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. At this point, God repeats the promise. Nothing that God said right there is new. This test didn't add some bonus points for Abraham. It's the same thing that God had already told him from way back when. He said, This is my covenant, these are the things I'm going to do, and it's all those things. So, what's happening here? As God repeats the promise to Abraham, Abraham now understands the promise differently. Because before, he just thought, well, that's just it's God's prerogative. He's doing what he's going to do. He said he's going to do it. But now what Abraham understands is that all of this promise, all of this, this covenant that, that God had established, was because of and in relation to the relationship that Abraham had with God. This trusting relationship was what was enabling all of the promises To be poured into Abraham's life. And not only his life. But in all of the the generations. That would follow after him. It was all. Pivoting on his relationship. There was nothing. Between God and Abraham. Nothing in the world. And that's how close. God wants to be with us. So many things. Stand between us and God. In our lives. I feel like. Sometimes there's a new one every day (laughs) that I recognize, that I see. Right? Our own will. The desires of other people. The idols of the world. The lusts of the flesh. The pride of life. The spiritual forces of evil. All these things want to get in the way and create distance and, and create a gap between us and our relationship with God. But God's tests have a purpose. And they're not just to push our limits. They're actually removing our limitations. That's what happened here with Abraham. When he went through this test on the other side of this, I mean, he thought he had gray hair at 115. I mean, this was hard. But what he recognized on the other side of this is there's nothing between me and God. There's nothing. And there's nothing that he can't do or won't do. He had pure connection with the Lord. And that's part of what God is doing in us as he takes us through these places in life. He's in the process of refining us. The tests reveal who God is and who we are. They bring clarity and they grow our faith and they bring us closer to him. Now, I can't finish this message this morning without also stating the obvious for those of you who are Christians and know the rest of the story of the Bible. Because the foreshadowing here, obviously, in Genesis chapter 22, is remarkable in the way that it connects to Jesus. All right? In another time, and in another place, another father had to consider sacrificing his beloved son. But this time, there was no ram caught in the thicket. There was no alternative solution. If there was another way, he would have taken it. But our heavenly father made the choice to sacrifice his only son, Jesus, for our sake. His love for us was so great that he was willing to let his son die. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, was actually willing to die because of his great love for us. Hebrews tells us that it was for joy set before him he endured the cross. Just as Isaac, the obedient son, carried the wood to the place he would be sacrificed, Jesus carried his own cross to Golgotha, the place where they crucified him. But this time the father couldn't spare the son. But also at this time, just as God the father provided for Abraham... God the Father provided for Jesus, but this time with resurrecting life. We live in a fallen world. We're surrounded by sin and sorrow and death and destruction. But even mixed with the darkness, we see light. There's also beauty and joy and peace in this life. But God's plan His his great plan is ultimately to remove darkness and to overcome the brokenness of this world completely and totally, once and for all. And he's invited us to join him in that. He offers us resurrecting life. And we join him by faith. This is how this all ties back around. This out comes back together. We inherit the, the, the inheritance that Jesus has by faith. We receive this righteousness of God by faith. It's not how hard you work to try to get God's attention. It's not a list of good deeds that you do. It's not how much money you give to the church or how much time you've sacrificed. It's by faith entering into this relationship with him. I'm going to read um, two more verses and we're done. And the first one is one that most of you have heard in your life. John 3.16. But we're going to go farther than just John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, this is faith, words of faith, believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Look how it keeps going. Whoever believes... comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. One more verse. Now first John chapter five verse three. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this, listen to this, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We're called to faith. And it's a faith that chooses to trust God even when we don't understand it all. We can throw ourselves upon His power, His wisdom, His mercy, and His love. And our hope and faith will be rooted in Him. I know for many of you, It's been a hard season of life. There's some things going on in people's lives right now that are heavy, heavy, real things. But I want to encourage you today, what we see through the scripture, what I think God is wanting to speak to us today, hold on to him in faith. Hold on in him in trust. I don't know how he'll provide. And I don't know how all these things will work themselves out. There's a lot of injustice and wrong things and awful things that will happen in this life that will not be reconciled in this life. But we believe that they will be reconciled and made right in the life to come. And we don't know how, and we don't see it all, but we believe in a God that's bigger than what we can understand. And we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him, believing that one day he will make all things right and all things new. And as people of faith, oftentimes that's where we, that's, that's where we have to stop. That's where we, we stand. We stand in faith, trusting that he's going to do what he wants to do. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for your word here today. And God, I, I know that um, this is a hard message to hear sometimes. It's, it was a hard message for Abraham to hear. This was a difficult place. And it's much easier when we can see the whole story. We can see the beginning, the middle, and the end. But I know that many of my brothers and sisters here today, they're not in the, at the end point yet. They can't look back and see all the ways that you provided. They can't look back and see how you made all things new and you healed everything and you, you saved everyone. But Lord, we want to be people of faith that trust in you. And so God, we ask this morning that you would make us those people of faith that you would give us faith, that you would grow our faith. And Lord, we understand that that may include and require testing. As you purify our hearts, as you transform us, as you change us. And Lord, we just, we we give ourselves again to you. We put our lives in your hands and ask you to be who you are. The loving God who cares for us, the one who is our provider and our sustainer. You're the giver of life. And Lord, we do not have hope anywhere else. We can work really hard and try to do it on our own, but only you, only you can truly do what needs to be done. And so Lord, we ask that you'd make us people of faith. If there are any here today that do not know you yet, that are just baffled when they hear all this Conversation about people putting their trust in a God they, they haven't seen. Lord, I pray that right now you would reveal yourself to those people, that you would touch their hearts in a way that they would know that you are real. And I pray, Lord, that today they would put their faith and their hope and their trust in you and that their lives would be transformed forever. Grow us in our faith, Lord. Build us as we follow after you and may you be glorified in all things. And one more <laughs> tack on prayer, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for doing what we could not do. We praise you and we glorify your name. We're grateful for the resurrecting power. And Lord, we, we, we trust in you for that same power that will rescue us from death. Pray these things in Jesus' name.